0: Last week, we finished Chapter 5 in our series in Matthew's Gospel, a long time in Chapter 5. And after reading Chapter 5, reading the Beatitudes and then Jesus' six illustrations about how he came to fulfill the law and the expectation that his disciples are to have in serving and honoring God in their lives, you would think that would be enough. But the Lord does not stop. There's actually a chapter 6. And that's where we're going to be this this morning. So if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew's gospel is about the kingdom of God arriving in Jesus Christ. A kingdom that was demonstrated as he healed every disease and healed every affliction. But he did it in a fallen world. And the fallenness of our world was significant. It was impossible for us to overcome. And yet Christ comes into our fallen world and undoes everything by his presence and his power. And here in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explains to his disciples what living in the kingdom is all about. In his sermon, he describes the character of those who belong to his kingdom. They have, they have this, what he would, I think, say, an extraordinary righteousness. He says at the end, in the middle of chapter 5, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, and so he 's painting this picture of righteousness that goes far beyond the scribes and Pharisees, who were the religious rock stars of their day, that people would think if, if the scribes and Pharisees, their righteousness has to be exceeded who who can do it and Jesus continues on in this in this wonderful sermon, this challenging sermon, to challenge us about how we're to live as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ. And he also describes the blessings that come with that, blessings that the scribes and Pharisees did not have because their righteousness was self-righteousness, their righteousness was self-created. They deceived themselves into believing that they had earned God's favor by their efforts. And it's why in 520, Jesus tells them that his disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, their self-righteousness, their self-created righteousness, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and Pharisees, they, they were on the fringe of this crowd. Jesus was primarily speaking to his disciples, but the scribes and Pharisees, they're there. And they're listening, as are many others who do not know Christ, and they hear these words. And Jesus is, is telling them, Your self-proclaimed righteousness is not enough. You cannot be in the kingdom, my kingdom, without this extraordinary righteousness. And in as we read over these past weeks in Matthew five, twenty-one through forty-eight, it he describes the impact of a God-centered righteousness. That affects every relationship we have. And so you we read through the the issue of anger and lust and divorce and oaths and retaliation and loving your enemies. And now Jesus in chapter six comes to a view of another relationship, and that is our relationship with God. Read with me in six one through four. Jesus is sermonizing, he is preaching. And he says this to his disciples and the crowd listening. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Once again, humbly aware of our need for your saving grace and grateful for that saving grace. Lord, we're thankful that you sent your spirit to dwell in us and among us that we might be transformed into the image of your son. And now we ask that Holy Spirit, you would, you would bring illumination to each of our hearts that we might know your word, we might understand your word, we might be transformed by your word for your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord lives forever. Three points from this simple, simple challenge that Jesus gives in Matthew 6, 1 through 4. In these four verses, Jesus gives us a simple principle. He gives us a practice and he gives us a loving promise. In 6, 1, he says, "...beware of practicing your righteousness before others." We live in a world where performance and recognition are highly valued. And many, including Christians, seek the praise and the applause of others. It's it's just it's just the challenge we face in our hearts, and this principle is a warning, and this warning that Jesus is giving his his disciples, he is warning them about the life of the scribes and Pharisees. And he's giving these disciples, do not use your spiritual life as a way to get others to notice you. Because if you do, your heavenly Father will not reward you. Do not use your spiritual life. In other words, do not practice your spirituality in such a manner that it seeks to bring attention to yourself and Jesus uses three illustrations to help us understand this principle and, in practice these are the, and these are not the only areas the the three areas that we're going to be studying over these next weeks the the area of giving the area of praying and the area of fasting are not the only ways that we can toot our own horn. The only way that, that we call attention to ourselves. These are, these are not the only ways. We, we are, as Jesus is challenged us, to live not to be seen by others, but to be content that God alone sees what we're doing. Early on, the scribes and Pharisees, if you look back in their history, they actually began well in their desire to serve God. They, they pursued practical holiness, marked by good works, by good works of charity and regular prayer and tithing. But they didn't end well. They, they didn't continue in their their godly motive they became enamored with their own spirituality they became enamored with their works of charity they became enamored with their their prayer and so much so they they turned it into a public show where they would display their great works of charity in front of others so that others would would comment about oh how 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 wonderful you are. How, how generous you are. Oh, how sacrificial you are in serving. And Jesus warns his disciples. He warns his disciples that this kind of righteousness is no righteousness at all. And it receives no reward from their heavenly father. And so this principle is simple. The principle that Jesus is giving in 6.1 is simply this. The manner in which we practice our spiritual disciplines, which directly relate to our relationship with God, reveal, will reveal why we practice them. And we'll be rewarded accordingly. And so this, this simple principle is, don't do what you do so others will praise you. And as we have seen throughout Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he doesn't just target behavior. He targets the heart. What's, what's your motive? What's your motive in giving? What's your motive in praying? What's your motive in fasting? What's your motive in the works that you do for the kingdom of God? What's your motive for doing the things you do for others? And Jesus Targets the heart. And so this principle in in verse one beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. It's a warning. Secondly, there he he goes on to describe what we are to look like and what we're not to look like. And it's a humble practice. And so we have this principle, and now we have this practice in in 2 through 3. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. In this first illustration, Jesus paints this humorous picture of the scribes and Pharisees' religious show. It's a hypocritical act. He says they call attention to their spirituality by blowing a trumpet when they give. Now, they didn't actually, as far as we know, they didn't actually blow a trumpet, but they did call a to themselves. And Jesus describes that calling of attention to themselves as equal to blowing a trumpet to say, bum, 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 look what I've done. This is who I am. They toot their own horn. They, They pat themselves on the back. My dad used to say when I would call attention to myself, he said, listen, be careful you don't dislocate your shoulder when you're patting yourself on the back. It's a self-congratulation. It's a self-satisfaction with their godliness. All to elicit praise and admiration from those around them. Now hypocrisy was a serious problem for the scribes and Pharisees. The Greek word for hypocrisy is... was connected to actors, actors who would put on a face, put on a show, and, and, that, and that what they were doing wasn't real. And that's why Jesus uses this word hypocrisy. He said in John twelve forty three, they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That's who Jesus is talking about. And this first illustration is a contrast between true righteousness and false righteousness, particularly in our spiritual disciplines and the discipline here of giving to the needy. And this is what the the hypocrite desires. He desires to be known. He desires to blow the trumpet on himself. He desires for his life to, to display his goodness Now, giving to the needy was always an important value in Israel's life. In the law, Deuteronomy 15, Moses says this, If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be, You shall give to him freely. And so the the Pharisees, they did have it right. They, They were to give to the needy. And they did give to the needy. But it was the how and why they gave to the needy. Now, giving to the needy was expected. Jesus didn't say, if you give, but when you give. So there was this expectation But he warned them, when you give, don't be like the scribes and Pharisees. John Stott said this in his commentary. Giving is a real activity involving real people in real need. And yet, it is possible to turn an act of mercy into an act of vanity. So that our principal motive in giving is not the benefit of the person receiving the gift, but for our own benefit who give it. That's what Jesus is after here. And Jesus isn't just coming after these ancient disciples. He's coming, in a sense, after us. The Word of God is timeless. And these words apply to us as well. The hypocrite, Jesus says, is far more interested in making sure others know about his act of giving than he is helping the needy. Now imagine Sunday morning, and we're back at Halley Wells. We're indoors, and we're passing around the offering basket, receiving the offering. And one person gets up Joey Hutchinson gets up. And when Joey gets up, he turns to his children and says, Now. And they take out their trumpets. <laughs> ah, ah, Daddy's giving! (laughs) (laughs) That's how silly and stupid this self-righteous act is. But before, before we get judgmental about how idiotic these scribes and Pharisees are, we should consider... The ways in which we call attention to our giving and our deeds of service. Listen, we're too smart to use trumpets. I mean, in the almost eight years that I've been here, we've never used trumpets on a Sunday morning. But instead, we use words and expressions that sound humble and noble to draw attention to our deeds. Or so you just, you're in a crowd of people and, and you just... Just say, I can't believe how much God has provided for me after I gave this offering. Really? Who are we really honoring at that moment? This offering that you gave? Or the God who's provided for you? Or steering conversation so that others will ask questions that allow us to humbly describe how sacrificial and generous that we've been. Oh, you know, you look tired. Yeah, yeah, I I am. I'm I'm pretty tired. I spent all day at so-and-so's house just cleaning it up for them. Oh, okay. Or the pastor, Devin, or myself, honors a group for serving in a particular way, in a particular moment. And we list the names of all those who have served. But one person gets accidentally forgotten and uh, and so they find a way to mention it. Somebody comes in and s- says, "Oh, those folks that 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 Larry mentioned really served heroically and and you respond, "Yeah, we were there all day. Oh, the pastor forgot to mention you. yeah, yeah, no problem, no problem. It, it keeps me humble <laughs> really. The hypocrite speaks of." that Jesus speaks of, are not so subtle. But we are. And it's why he gives this warning. We must guard against the deceitfulness of our own hearts and what is really motivating us to do the things that we do. It's what Jesus is after here. And here's why he's after this. He wants to protect us. It's his heart to protect us. Because in verse 1, it says, For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And in verse 2, Two, he says, truly I say to you, they, the the scribes and Pharisees who have tooted their own horn, they have received their reward. In other words, the the acclamation, the acknowledgement, the, the human praise that you've gotten, that's it. That's all you get. No well done, good and faithful servant. Just The praise of the past. So, having forbidden his disciples to give to the needy in such a self-congratulatory manner, Jesus turns to another very vivid and very humorous illustration to teach his disciples how they should practice their righteousness in verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Now, I've tried this. It doesn't work. I I can put my hand behind my back all day long, but my brain knows what my right hand is doing. Whether it's brushing my teeth or eating chocolate or whatever, my, my brain knows my right hand is doing something and my left hand knows my right hand is doing something. So what is Jesus saying here? What is, what is he trying to communicate? Well, What he's trying to communicate is not only are we not to tell others about our giving in this particular instance, but we do not need to tell ourselves. Oh, what a great job you did giving. I know, I know you didn't have as much in your in your checking account as you used to, but but Larry, good job, buddy. Thanks. What a godly thing I did. Jesus is saying, listen, don't stand outside yourself and admire yourself for what you've done. Just It's just simply, in a sense, forget your act of kindness and move on. Now, this is not the kind of forgetfulness that I often exhibit at my age when I forget simple things. So Marilyn hears me in the shower. She hears the shower turn off. Then she hears the shower turn back on again. And I hear from the other room, did you forget to wash your face? Yes, I forgot to wash my face. Or she sends me to the store to get something and I'm about two-thirds way down the aisle and then I have to call her. What did you tell me to get? That's not the kind of forgetfulness Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a self-forgetfulness, about a moving on. That whatever godly, righteous act that you did, and giving in particular, the giving is that "It's, it's over with. I've moved on. I have forgotten. So we have, we have the principle, we have the practice, and now we have this loving promise in 6-4. Verse 3, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And here are these most encouraging words. And this is the second time Jesus uses this phrase, your father, and your father, your heavenly father, who sees in secret will reward you this is yes, this is also a commentary on our relationship with god as his children this promise should be of great encouragement to us our heavenly father jesus is talking about our relationship and our fellowship with god and he sees everything we do, and he rewards us when our acts of righteousness are done in secret. He sees us, and he delights in us, and he rewards us. And Jesus affirms this and, and encourages us in this way. That God, God sees everything we do. Psalm 139.2, that he knows our thoughts. And 139.4, that he knows every word we're going to speak before we speak it. God is present He's omnipresent. He's always there at all times. There is nothing you do that is hidden from the Lord. There is no thought that you have that is hidden from the Lord. There are no words that you were planning on saying that he didn't know about. And as our Father who watches over us and sees what we do in secret, Jesus encourages us. He will reward you. And as we see in Scripture, rewards are not wrong. And seven times in these three illustrations of spirituality, Jesus speaks about the Father rewarding us for our righteousness or not rewarding us in our life. What is the reward? Jesus never says. But I think we can surmise, in heaven, in the future, it is a well-done, good, and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And we can acknowledge that that it is also a reward now. If you remember the Beatitudes, blessed are those, blessed are those. We are blessed by God now. Such secret giving, Jesus says, is a genuine act of righteousness that is pleasing to him. And he will know if we've given to please ourselves or to please him. And if it's to please him... We'll be just like the Corinthians. If you remember in 2 Corinthians 8 with the Macedonians and and the giving that they gave themselves to the Lord first, then gave money to his work. Jesus calls us to live our spiritual life for God and not for others. Let Let us clothe ourselves in Christ's Righteousness. And the reason we can clothe ourselves in Christ's righteousness is that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. He took his life to the cross and died in our place for our sins. That's the good news of the gospel. And that we have been freed from the penalty of sin. And we've been freed from the power of sin. And now we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. In Revelation 19.6, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. That's the reward, brothers and sisters. So, what is our application from a passage like this? We can all struggle with hypocrisy. We all at times desire others to notice us and praise us for what we do, but but Christ has transformed us and freed us from sin. That's the good news of the gospel. He has ransomed us by paying for our sins, so that we can please Him with godly motives and godly actions. Proverbs four twenty three. Here is here is a verse that I memorized a long, long time ago, and that has always always reminded me of really what this verse is is speaking about. This is the NIV. Translation, above all else, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And that was what this word, beware, is telling us. Guard your heart above all else. And secondly, listen, where the Holy Spirit has revealed hypocrisy in you today, confess. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness that we might live a righteous life. And when he do, he does. He does forgive us. He he promised and he did. And he sent the Holy Spirit to us that we might become more like Christ. Listen, we have this hope. Paul writes in Colossians 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Brothers and sisters, that's encouraging. Listen, Jesus is our supreme and perfect example. And by his perfect life, he has shown us how we're to live. We have an example to follow, as Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 21. He says, we will follow in his steps. He, he never lived for the praise of others, even though his life was one of good works and very public he never lived for the praise of others. After performing miracles and, and of healing and compassion and displaying his divine power, he continually turned attention away from himself and to his heavenly Father. And that is what we are called to do today. Father, thank you that we have the Holy Spirit who is empowering us to live for Christ and not for ourselves who is empowering us to bring glory to you. And may it be so. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.